Welcome to this episode of the Think Wildlife podcast. Today I speak to Marcus Hofmeier, who is the director of the Rhino Recovery Fund. As part of the Wildlife Conservation Network, the Rhino Recovery Fund supports various conservation projects involving rhinos in both Asia and Africa. We go into detail about the conservation of all five rhino species and in particular focus on the conservation of the greater one-horned rhino. in the state of assam you need to listen more and don't forget to share and subscribe to the podcast after listening to the episode so welcome marcus to the podcast it's a pleasure to have you on here today to talk about all the great work on rhino conservation that you guys are involved with thank you thank you for hosting us good afternoon what got you interested in studying rhinos uh so i not only study them but i actually work very intensely with them and i've been involved with rhinos since i was a scholar when i volunteered to work in nature reserves and national parks and obviously rhinos have always been a flagship species for rewilding back into areas where they were poached to extinction um and then as a wildlife young wildlife veterinarian i got very very quickly got opportunities to translocate and work with rhinos in in a wild setting so pretty much since i was a teenager i've been working directly and indirectly with Uh, with Rana and now I'm the director of the Rana Recovery Fund uh looking for good projects that are supporting Rana recovery talking a bit more about the Rhino Recovery Fund how did it come into being and what is the long term vision of this organization so the Rana Recovery Fund is one of five wildlife funds that the wildlife conservation network has it is the youngest fund so the other funds are the elephant crisis fund which is the first fund to be created then the lion recovery fund then the pangolin crisis fund and then the rhino recovery fund and then we also have a, a a specific california program which is the fifth fund called the california wildlife program so this the funds model is a way for people to donate money and it goes to a a fund that deals with uh supporting projects that are recovering or conserving or helping make sure that those species that are linked to the fund are uh, adequately supported so rhinos are f- flagship species as i said before and they unfortunately hunted regularly for their for their horns for the illegal wildlife market and because of that they are in, uh, mostly endangered most of the five species are critically endangered or at least endangered and um uh the fund is therefore put in place as part of a funding mechanism that people can give money and then as a director i have to look for the good projects and make sure that i allocate the money to projects that are doing holistic and um sustainable rhino recovery projects could you elaborate a bit on the types of projects which the fund supports So we have got three main categories. One is about protected area management, which is quite broad because it involves biological management, law enforcement, uh, area integrity, um, some innovative ways to finance the project or develop better technology. Then we've got uh, a stream where we're looking at re- demand reduction and illegal wildlife trade disruption, which is a, the most important thing we can do for runners is to break up crime syndicates that are dealing with. wildlife crime and obviously that's where the rhino horn get illegally sold and then the last st- uh, stream of funding goes to coexistence projects where 
we are hoping to have more of those in the future where rhinos and people coexist peacefully together. They're not a conflict species, but because of the high value of their horn, they're often very um, securely protected. Or if you want to make sure that they don't get killed for their horn, they have to be securely protected. So we want to try and support projects that do a lot of community outreach works where the communities become stewards of, of rhino protection and where benefits are, are directly or indirectly um, flowing to local stakeholders where rhinos occur. The Rhino Recovery Fund has partnered with an NGO in India called Aryanak for yeah. the conservation of the one-horned rhino. So what is this project about? So we've given Aryanak uh, two grants now. So the first one we gave was to do um, uh, floodline uh, um, measures to be able to build islands to protect or whether where the greater one-horned rhinos can seek refuge during the massive floods that the Brahmaputra River that flows next to uh, Kaziranga can uh, can be erected in a, in a responsible manner because the park is very um, surrounded by people and roads so the rhinos don't have access to high ground so building these these mounds would be what, what is intended to help protect them against this, these massive floods the other thing that you're supported by that Grant was the removal of alien plants that are starting to in, 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 uh, infringe on rhino habitat. Um, and then the second grant they got, which they're still busy working on, is for the translocation of rhinos from Kaziranga and Pavitora to other national parks. Um, there's been a delay because of decision-making and uh, security reasons at one of the parks, but we're hoping that that will be, be enact, enacted in 2024. India's rhino population has skyrocketed over the last few years. It's one of the two species of rhinos which population has recovered significantly, the other being the white rhino. So what has India done so well that the rhino population has really recovered? Yeah, so the greater one-owned rhino has had a similar success story to the to the southern white rhino, which would, both of them went down to you know, lower than 100 individuals. And through good protection and security those numbers then slowly built up and then also translocations took place i think what 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 needs to happen in india there needs to be a lot more translocations to take place to reduce the density of the at the places where they've done well and to make sure that they're new source populations so the the success is based on one good protection so the runners were very securely protected two is good biological management and then three was translocations to new parks so that they've got new places that they can uh grow and, uh, again and and all of that is very much supported by political will and um, having good park management that can actually adequately protect those rhinos that's sort of the parallels between those two species what are currently the present threats to rhinos in india and what can be improved for their conservation in the country uh the biggest threat for rhinos anywhere in the world remains the illegal hunting of them for their rhino horn. Um, that's that's the primary threat because wildlife criminals go to long measures to actually shoot rhinos and then cut their horns off and then smuggle them to the, the demand countries, which is mainly Vietnam and China, from what we understand. The other problem that you have in, in India is that your two your main parks, Pavitora and Kaziranga, have got high densities of rhino, so that might slow their breeding down. You actually need to find homes for some rhinos so that you can reduce the density in those parks and uh, 
keep on making sure that rhinos breed. And then obviously there's also an issue with alien vegetation uh, invading the grasslands that they live on. And that is uh, needing to be monitored very closely because that could reduce the carrying capacity of those parks even more if there's too much alien invasive that comes in. The fund also supports work on the conservation of Sumatran and Javan rhinos. Firstly, do you think there is much hope for these two species? And talk about some of the work that the fund is supporting. Yeah, good question, because those are the two most critically endangered rhinos in the world. Um, the one, the Sumatran rhino really only occurs in the wild, still in the Loiza landscape in the northern part of Sumatra. And the Javan rhino only occur in the wild in Ujangkula National Park at the tip of the Java Island. So both those species have had a consistent decline over the last century, and it's been accelerating in the last two or three decades. Um, they too have been affected by by illegal hunting, which was the primary cause of the decline. But they also, have, because they live in jungles and preferentially live in lowland jungles, they've now been forced to be isolated in in small parks or in landscapes that are not necessarily 100% ideal for them because their habitat has been replaced by palm oil and rubber tree plantations uh, or other forms of agriculture. And and this is a serious threat because it's very difficult to get those forest habitats recovered because there's such pressure, human population pressure on those those landscapes. Um, I do see that if the Loiza system is properly protected, that there could be recovery of rhinos from there. And in the, the long distance future, some could be captured and taken back to parks where they've gone extinct like we've done in South Africa and India. The Java runners is, is a little bit more precarious. They are luckily in the same park. So there is obviously adults that are breeding, but it's a very small park and there's no real possibility for extension or expansion. So they, there is a need to possibly create a second population somewhere, but both these species are extremely difficult to capture because they live in the thick rainforest. So you can't just dart them like we do in South Africa and India. They have to be caught in pit traps, which inherently carries so much more risk than the normal darting that we do. And um, you know, finding ways to catch them is hugely expensive and very difficult. So it's almost an impossibility to do, uh, given the the sort of uh, political stalemate at making decisions and delegating the operational requirements to people in the field. So yeah, they do, they, their futures do look dire, uh, I don't think it's completely hopeless, but it does require a combined and very nimble team who have been given good operational delegation to actually go out and catch some more, expand the parks, translocate rhinos to new areas, but uh, doing so responsibly and with uh, the right number of animals. And what are some projects which the fund supports regarding the conservation of these two species? So we support uh, the a group called Forum Conservasi Loiza, which is a locally grown NGO in the Loiza ecosystem. We're doing a fantastic job to protect the, the forest. So we're funding rhino protection units that patrol the forests and also some of the intelligence work. And then we fund the park management and the monitoring and security um, investments of Ujangkula National Park through the International Runner Foundation. We've got a very strong program in Indonesia. Uh, so those are the two, two projects that we do. And then I, in my personal capacity, as I'm a wildlife veterinarian, I'm also 
sharing experience with the teams in in both those units. I'm actually going to Indonesia on Thursday um, to try and modernize the way they approach their capture systems and what to do with animals when they do catch them. So capacity building is another big component that we support both uh, Ujangkulun and um, Indonesia, uh, the Sumatra system, the, the Loisa ecosystem. The last rhino species which we did not talk about yet is the black rhino. How are they faring and what are some projects which the fund is supporting regarding their conservation? Thank you. Yeah. Black rhinos are probably my most favorite mammals because they're very um, belligerent. They've got a lot of character. They were the most widely distributed rhino in the prehistoric time. They occurred everywhere in Africa except through rainforests, grasslands, and through deserts. Um, and uh, were very successful until humans arrived or modern uh, weapons arrived that were used particularly in um, civil war scenarios. And in a very short period of time, their numbers plummeted from tens of thousands to two and a half thousands in the early 1990s. Through very good protection in Kenya, South Africa, Namibia, and Zimbabwe primarily, they were uh, the, the decline was halted. And now through the same principles as White Runner, good biological management, law enforcement, protected area management, and translocations, their, their numbers have grown to six and a half thousand. The reason there's less black runner than white runners is they slightly more complicated animals to translocate. So there's been lots of losses due to that. And um, you need uh, adequate size areas to have a sizable population, but that is hopefully gonna change with more parks being rehabilitated in Africa. We support projects in Kenya, both in the Laikipia landscape and in the Tsavo landscape, where we've got the eastern subspecies of black runner. We support projects in Tanzania, uh, Malawi, um, not, not in Rwanda. We do, we've done some training in Rwanda. A lot of support in Zimbabwe, South Africa. We're supporting a growing population of runners in Mozambique. Uh, and in in Namibia. So basically, wherever there is significant rhino and good projects, we we have uh, support, and we also also uh, strategically advise and and um, help build capacity in in those particular projects. How can projects join this fund, and what specifically do you look for in projects? So when people want to. Um, uh, apply for funding they have to do it once i've invited them that's part of my due diligence role is looking for projects that are doing good work doing the due diligence and then inviting them for a grant application that then goes to a granting committee that has the final say if the project was well written well conceived um and usually uh, i try and avoid bringing projects to the granting committee that are not going to pass through it um and uh if it's about donors, the donors can easily give money to WCN to go into the fund. They can specify that that's where the money should go to. And then the director and the granting committee uh, then look look and, and uh, allocate grants to good uh, and deserving runner recovery projects. What have been some of the most prominent challenges you have faced both at the Rhino Recovery Fund and in your personal conservation career? Um, challenges are always trying to find enough donors to be able to support the projects into the long term. It's a very fickle place to be in. Uh, rhino populations take 
10 years plus to double. So if you're only able to give one year grants, it's uh, very challenging to have a real impact. So we are looking for projects that have got co-funding and by, try and provide as much money that, that is um, catalytic to unlocking new funding streams, new technology, new lessons learned. Um, and then obviously, <clears throat> you know, to make sure that we continue to find new projects balanced with renewing those projects that are doing doing well. And what have been some of the most prominent lessons from your career so far? Uh, overall, my career, I think that there's a couple of key lessons. It's uh, conservation is a very complex uh, field to be in. You need passionate people that are skilled. Um, I think there's a real requirement to work towards a situation where people are appointed on merit and it's not driven by politics or um, funders that have a specific requirement. Um, collaboration needs to definitely increase and improve over the conservation arena. Um, and then civil society need to be far more proactive at forcing politicians and, and the, the country's governments to allocate more funding to conservation initiatives because it is a bit unfair to expect the private sector to fund all the stuff that government should actually be funding. Um, yeah, those are the key challenges. And obviously the fact that we still have uh, significant illegal wildlife trade syndicates operating is a is a, a scary proposition going forward because rhinos will remain the target for those people that want to illegally collect the horn and sell it uh, via legal means. It never has a good outcome and it creates a false economy and often security in the regions where there's a lot of poaching deteriorates considerably with all the illegal people active in the area. And what have been some of your most memorable moments from your conservation career? Sure, there's been many. Um, I think being a wildlife veterinarian and, and having reintroduced many, many species, it's incredibly satisfying to be able to do that, you know, releasing some rhinos you caught under difficult conditions and see them walking off into the bush and start browsing. Very, very memorable. Um, there's been many populations throughout Africa that I have directly been involved with uh, helping, to, helping to or overseeing the translocation. And now going back to some of those properties and seeing those rhinos thriving and having calves and the population growing and they've been protected well, incredibly um, valuable experiences to have. Thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much, and I hope that the information will be of value to your listeners. Thank you.